0: Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for the fun we've had in this study, and as we start to get near the end with just a few more weeks left, uh, Lord, uh, you've been showing us so much, and that this book of Revelation is not a book by itself, that actually you've written most of what's being told us here in the book of Revelation all throughout your word, and that's why we've been at this thing and this study since June, and, and what a journey it's been. Tonight, Lord, as we look at uh, some tough stuff, Uh, We first thank you for those of us in this room that have uh, trusted you as our Savior. We won't be facing some of these judgments that we're about to see. But Lord, at the same time, may we know what's coming. May we know the truth. May we put this in our heart. And we continue to just walk by faith and and look forward to the day when when you come get us. But until then, uh, may we live by faith and trust you and enjoy the journey. Uh, until until then. Again, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you for this group that's here. And thank you for all those that are listening on the web right now uh, all around the country. And we praise you for that. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10 is where we're going to start off with tonight. Remember where we left off last week? We looked at how the the millennial reign... Uh, Jesus is coming to the earth. He's going to literally set up His kingdom on the earth. He's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. David is going to rule and reign with Him. Uh, We're going to rule and reign all over the world, uh, those of us who have been faithful and are rewarded accordingly. Uh, And so now, though, it says, "...when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore." They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, if you remember, during the whole millennial reign, Satan himself is bound in a place called the pit or the abyss. And uh, he's bound there for a thousand years. The false prophet and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire. But at the end of that thousand years here, the Scripture says Satan's going to be released. He's going to go out throughout the earth and he's going to convince... Multitudes, millions of people all over the earth to come and to fight against Jesus in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to get to the why in just a little bit. But first of all, what I want you to understand is that this Gog and Magog passage has been a little confusing for some people because you remember we've done our study earlier of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and how it talks about Gog and Magog and all this. There are those that think this is the same battle. And what I want us to do is I want us to wrestle with this. I'm going to tell you the answer in a little bit. But I want us to wrestle with it. And so... In what you understand, go with me back to Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're not going to look at any specific passages until I tell you some. So I just want you to just kind of refresh yourself. Look at what it says here in Revelation. It says that, that Satan deceived deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, and number were like the sand on the seashore. And they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loved. And then fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Going back to Ezekiel 38 and 39... What are some things that you can see from the description of the Gog and Magog battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that shows us that this is not the same battle? Alright? I'm already giving you a little heads up. It's not the same battle. What are some differences that help us see that? Go ahead. Well, Revelation doesn't say that they're coming from the breadth of the earth Very good. Magog north and... Very good. Did you catch that? In Revelation, they're coming from the breadth of the earth, from the whole four corners of the earth to Jeru- against Jerusalem and surrounding the city as... Uh, as, as uh, Allison, my brain just shut off. Allison just just told us in Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, they come from the north. There's some other examples. What are some other things that you could show? Where do they attack according to Ezekiel 38 and 39? They come against what part of Israel? The mountains of Israel. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, they come against the mountains of Israel. In Revelation, they surround the whole city. All right. We also know that after the, de- the defeat of uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, when God defeats them, what happens to the bodies? They're buried for how long? Do you remember there were seven months that they're burying bodies, and they burned the fuel for seven years. The battle that is described as Gog and Magog here at the end of uh, this section of Revelation, at the end of the millennium, they're not going to be burning fuel for seven years because immediately at the end of the millennium you go into the eternal kingdom, there's no need to burn the fuel. Also at the same time, there's no burying of bodies in the Revelation passage that we just looked at here in verses 7-10 through because how do these people die? They're consumed by fire. There's nothing left, devoured. There's nothing left to bury. Whereas in the Ezekiel 38 and 39 passage, remember the beast, or sorry, the, the, the birds are t- come to cult, come be a part of this great feast and they come and gorge themselves on their flesh. So, if you take the time to study, you'll find these two battles are not the same. There's one other thing as well. The Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle is to show that Jesus is Lord. It keeps showing that over and over and over. But this will already be known during the thousand years, will it not? That Jesus is Lord with Him sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Like Ron making a little face here, and that's true. By the end of it, they're going to still not like that fact. And that's an amazing thing. And so that's what I want us to deal with. Alright? Let's go back to Revelation 20. Satan is now at the end of this battle. He convinces millions of people to come fight against Jesus in Jerusalem. He's cast into the lake of fire. Let's deal with that first, and then we'll get to the why of this battle. And the why, of the possibly, of the millennium as well. Alright? The beast and the false prophet, the antichrist and the false prophet, have been in this lake of burning sulfur for a thousand years. And you see the devil, verse 10, who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They, all of them, will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Does Satan rule in hell? But don't we hear a lot of that? Don't we see cartoons about Satan ruling in hell? And you hear people say, I'd rather go to hell and party with my buddies than go to heaven, you know, where they're not going to be and all that stuff. Folks, Satan is not going to rule in hell. He is going to be tormented in hell, just like everybody else that's in hell, day and night, forever and ever. Does it last? Does it end? No. And actually some scientists have even shown us that there is already now in what we understand from creation itself proof of the fact that there can be an everlasting fire that will never burn up. There there's actually certain stars out there that are called dwarf white white dwarf stars that they should have already burned up, but in the way in which they get so hot, these scientists have actually done the study, they get so hot that actually they burst atoms and everything turns into a gas and it shrinks. The star actually shrinks way smaller than it's supposed to be and the only way that it could burn out was if it would cool off and expand back to the size that it should have been but in that process of expanding back to the size it would have been it creates heat and it would create more heat and that would shrink it back and actually there are stars right now that should have burned out but never ever ever will and There is such a thing. I'm not saying that's how God's going to do it. He can do it however He wants. We already have proof in creation right now that there's such thing as a fire that will never, ever go out. Satan is going to be cast into this lake of fire, and he's not going to rule in it. So again, a lot of the stuff we hear is because people really don't understand or know the word very, very well. So let's deal with this question, though. Why the millennium, then? You know, I'll be honest with you. As a young Christian, whenever I heard anybody talk about the thousand years on the earth, I didn't like it. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to leave here, go to heaven. Now, I don't want to come back to this earth. Why in the world would I want to come back to this earth? And now, thousand years. I mean, I'm only forty-five, and I've already been here too long. So a lot of people say. But uh, but at the same time, but at the same time, the Bible says that we're going to be back on this earth for a thousand years with Jesus Himself literally ruling and reigning. Any, well, as long as he's here, yeah, that'll help a little. But any any idea why the millennium? And why is Satan released at the end of the thousand years? Have you ever chewed on it? Why? It's tied in with God's mercy. You're saying there's a lot of kids that haven't come to accountability? Are there, uh, Nicole's uh, thing is there's a lot of kids that haven't come to the age of accountability or whatever. Personally, I think the Scripture teaches that if they were to die in that state, they would go to be with the Lord. They need to make a choice. They need to make a choice. Go ahead. Well, it has to do with his has some, Becky says, does it have to do with His authority? Does it the prophecy of Him physically ruling on the earth? Definitely it fulfills the prophecy of Him ruling in, on the earth. But There's got to be a purpose for it. There's a purpose for it. And here's what I want you to st- let this sink in, because there is a purpose for it. Actually, there have been many different phases or time periods throughout the earth in which God has manifested Himself. And, well, let me just read what I wrote to you here, alright? The release of Satan is viewed in Scripture as the final test that shows the corruption of the human heart. See, God has subjected fallen humanity to numerous tests in the development of His program of the kingdom and of redemption. Man has failed under every single test. What was the first situation or dispensation, if you will? Garden of Eden. They, they were in Garden of Eden. It was perfect. God was there. What did man do? Man sinned. Then there's the period where there's government. And he had he gave authority over them and kings and prophets. And how'd they do? They sinned. They had the age of the law where God came down and gave them His commands. They sinned. Then there's the age of grace that we're in. And then in the millennium, Jesus himself is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And even though we are going to be living on the earth in our resurrected bodies, and even though Jesus himself is going to be there and David's going to be there, and the Bible says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all going to be there, even though those types of folks are all going to be on the earth... At the end of that thousand years, remember a lot of people are going to be making lots of babies during that time. There will be those who when Satan is released will be more than glad to say we don't want his authority over us. What was Satan's rebellion? Pride. Pride. Remember what he said in Isaiah? I, I, I want to be like the Most High God. I don't, I don't want him to be God. I want to be God. And then, of course, he had his rebellion in heaven. He was cast out of the presence of God in the sense of he was cast to the earth. He's still allowed in the presence of God. because the Bible says he accuses us before the Father day and night. Uh, he has to appear when the angels appear, as it says in Job, Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. But when he went down at the garden, he said to Adam and Eve, you could be like God, deciding good and evil, right and wrong. You could call the shots. And the millennial kingdom is just another dispensation, if you will, or another time period on the earth in which God manifests to mankind and to all of creation the fact that He alone is holy. He alone is good. And I don't care what position or condition you put man in, he's corrupt. It could be an age of grace, he'll thumb his nose at grace. It could be under the law. He'll rebel against the law. He could be in a perfect situation of Garden of Eden and he'll rebel. Folks, I don't care how many people out there try and tell you when people sin, it's because of their environment. If they were just brought up, not in the projects, but in a nice place, we wouldn't do this to each other. I hope you understand by now the truth of who God is and who we are. God alone is holy. And so when God punishes all the wicked for eternity, he has given proof over and over and over that he is just in doing it. What's the millennium? It's just another time period for him to prove that he alone is holy. Go ahead. It's kind of, it's kind of the ultimate environment. I I fantasized at times about wow, if I could just have seen Christ when he walked here, right? Yep. I mean, how easy is faith then? <laughs> Well, it's what people are going to do. It's they're what going they're going to see. They're going to see. Rise and yak. They're going to say, I don't like this. You're right. It's hard to believe. Yes. Well, Satan whispers in our ears and says, if only my situation were different, I would have behaved. You know, I, 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 was, uh, I don't remember what I was watching. And, 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 and uh, there was this situation where this uh, hu- wife found out that her husband was cheating with her best friend. And the husband said, Well, it's really not my fault. You weren't there. In other words, if you had been there, I wouldn't have done this. Oh, yes, you would have. We all would have. You know, folks, I hope you understand this. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is dece- deceitful beyond all things, above all things, and beyond cure. The only way we can get righteous is because God gives it to us as a gift. Sad thing is, a lot of Christians nowadays say, Well, I'm a good person. No, apart from Christ, I'm still no good. But by His gift, He has made me righteous, and He has declared me righteous, and I'm justified, and I'm holy. How in the world He's going to let me rule and reign during the millennium? I'm still... But you know what? He's going to give me the ability to do it. But the millennium has a purpose. And the more we study the Scriptures, the more I've come to realize, you know what? God's got a reason for it. God's got a reason for it. So, any thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, we, we think... Geez, if, if only I had uh, become a missionary and gone to places <laughs> and told people, they'd be saved. But yet, here we are in the, millennium, in the millennium, and we're going to be ruling and reigning much more visibility, power, and authority than we have today. And yet, even then, we're not going to be capable of... Convincing. You're right. and and, and actually right along that line I think a lot of us have been kind of taught into thinking that you know if I don't tell them they may not hear you know what I've come to realize I think the Bible teaches everybody hears and you know how I saw that even again some of you heard me teach on this prior but just recently God showed me something cool when Jesus rose from the dead in Matthew chapter 28 he meets the women at the tomb and he says go tell my brothers now first of all that's awesome I don't know if you you haven't caught what Jesus just said because Prior to this, he had never called them his brothers. Now, there was a point when he was teaching a group of people and his mother and his brothers were looking for him because they thought he'd lost his mind and he, they told Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside and Jesus said, who are my mother and, brother and brothers? And he pointed to this whole room full of people and he said, those who do the will of my Father, by the way, which is believing in the one he sent, those who do the will of my Father, those, these are my mother and brothers. But was he literally saying that everybody in that room was his mother and brothers? No. He was just simply saying, those who believe that I'm who God said I am and who I am become my family. That's all he said. But nowhere in Scripture does He ever call them His brothers until after the crucifixion and the resurrection. We couldn't be adopted until the price had been paid. And so what happens is, He says earlier uh, in John chapter 15, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. But He called them His disciples. But now Jesus says to the women, Go tell my brothers. I don't think any of us really understand how awesome that is, that Jesus would say... You're my brother. Well, here it gets better. What did He tell them to go do? Tell the women to go tell the guys, right? Go tell tell my brothers. I'll meet them in Galilee. Did Jesus sit back and wait for the women to do it? Well, not only did He appear to 500 other people, that same night, after the women had already said it, Jesus showed up Himself. Think about that. Think about that. He said, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to go tell them. And then he showed up. He didn't sit back and say, well, I'm giving them the responsibility. If they do it, they do it. If they don't, they don't. Now, we have been given the responsibility and the command to go share the good news of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something else about this God. He wants them to know so much, He's going to reveal Himself, whether you tell them or not. That's an awesome, awesome thing. What was that? Creation. Creation declares it. He's revealed that we're sinners by putting a sense of right and wrong within each of us, whether we have read the law of God or not. I just want you to hear, this is a big God who loves us, who's for us. He's pursuing us. The thousand years is just another chance for more people to come to faith, Nicole. But at the same time, it's also a time in which he's going to demonstrate that he alone, he alone is good and holy. That's why when this guy said to Jesus, good teacher, he said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God. Of course, he was good. He just didn't know if that guy really understood that he was God. All right? So, the glory goes to God and not to man. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. You get me preaching, we won't finish Revelation by the end of May. It's good, though. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now this is known well as the great white throne judgment, and the only ones that face this judgment are all those who have rejected God's offer of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Those who have not been given righteousness by faith, all those who are in their sins still, will one day stand before God at the same time. Everybody will be judged at once. And look at what he says here. And I saw the dead, verse 12, great and small. Now, nowadays in our society, in our court system, does it help to have a little bit of money and a little bit of prestige when you stand before the judge? Have we not noticed that certain people get off when other people wouldn't get off? You know, that guy from the slums who got caught with the cocaine will probably get a different sentence than the guy who's the millionaire with the cocaine, correct? But this day, it doesn't matter. Great and small are all going to stand before him. And it says here, this is the judgment of all the unrighteous. Now look closely though, how books are opened and each were re- judged according to what was recorded in the books. Alright? God, the Bible says, is keeping a record of everything people do. Now the good news is, for those of us who are covered by Jesus Christ, what does He do with our sins? He separates them as far as the east is from the west. We're removed. Our sins are removed from us. But He is keeping accurate track. Have you ever wondered sometimes, like, I sure hope they get theirs? The Bible says they will if they're not covered by the blood of Christ. And I want to show that to you in a couple of places here. Go to Matthew. Put a bookmark here. Go to Matthew chapter 12 and look at verse 36. Somebody with a good, loud voice, read verse 36 for us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. see that? Here Jesus said that on the day of judgment, people will have to give account for every idle word. Thank God for Jesus Christ, because I've had a few. You've had many, not as many as me, but you've had some. But here the Bible says people will have to give account of every idle word. Everything is being recorded. Go to Luke chapter 12. I'm sorry, like chapter 10 first, then we'll get to chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, uh, 10, verses 10 through 16. Let me read this to you. Look what Jesus says here in Luke 10, starting in verse 10. He said, but When you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus says that on the day of judgment, there's going to be levels of judgment there are going to be some who are going to have it easier on the day of judgment. Now you say, hell's hell, isn't it? Well, somehow, some way, there's levels of punishment in hell, in the lake of fire, there's levels of punishment. I can't go any further than that. The scripture doesn't go into any more detail, but just as much as you know, the Bible teaches that for those of us who have been forgiven through Jesus Christ, we're still going to stand before the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ, we'll be, we'll be rewarded for what we've done in the body after salvation, whether good or worthless, and God will do de- Determine our eternal reward. Heaven is not your eternal reward. Heaven is a gift God's already given to you. But after salvation, we will be in the millennium and in eternity going to be rewarded for how faithful we have been. That's why Jesus said those who have given up houses and lands and left their families for the sake of, of the kingdom will be rewarded a hundred times as much in the life to come. Hopefully you understand that in heaven, everybody will not be rewarded in the same measure. I've heard too many people say, oh honey, I'll just be glad to be there. That'll be enough for me. And when I was a young kid, I thought those older people were spiritual. Until I realized Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. And what they were really saying was, I don't care what Jesus says. I'm okay with just being there. I don't think anybody should ever say, I don't care what Jesus says. So if there's levels of reward in heaven, there are levels of punishment in hell. How that plays out, I don't know if their fire is a little bit less hot. or Don't try to guess. We don't know. But everyone's going to be judged according to... Listen, everyone's going to be judged according to the light which they have received. Did you catch that? They're going to be judged according to the measure of the light which they have received. I believe the Bible teaches that everybody hears. But I do not believe the Bible teaches that everybody hears at the same measure or the same level. How many of you um, who have trusted Jesus as your Savior received a, a blinding light and an audible voice that knocked you off your horse? <laughs> Me neither. The Bible teaches that if the miracles that are performed in Bethsaida or in uh, Tyre and Sidon uh, had been performed in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. To whom much is given, much is What? Those of us who live in America have been bombarded with light, have we not? People that live in the United States are going to be given a higher level of judgment than those in other parts of the world. I believe everybody in the world hears. I believe that God reveals Himself in many ways to everyone. Scripturally, that's what the Bible teaches. His Word has gone out into all the earth. It will not return void. It will accomplish everything He set out for it to accomplish. But at the time of the judgment, everyone that has rejected Him, everything they have done will be has been recorded and they will be judged accordingly and tied in with the measure of light which they received. And I'll show you one more passage that shows that. Go to Luke 12. Remember Jesus said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Luke chapter 12, look at verses 47 and 48. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does the things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Here we see there are those who have a more understanding than others. But punishment is still going to come to both. But the one who understood and still sinned will be judged higher. You ever thought to yourself, man, I hope someday... That person that did that will get theirs. The Bible says they will. But at the same time, I shall also hope that your attitude is that of Jesus that says, but if they'll still turn, they can be forgiven. Do you realize that Jesus said to, to Judas in the garden, right as Judas was about to kiss him? Friend. Jesus loved him all the way to the end. Judas never repented. Oh, Judas was sorry for what he did, but Jesus said that Judas was a child of Satan from the beginning, and he went where he belongs. Jesus said that Judas didn't get saved. But Judas had a chance, and Jesus would have forgiven him right up to the end, just like he did the thief on the cross. So, back in Revelation chapter 20, the dead are judged as to what was recorded in the book, everything they are done was recorded, and how much light they received. But then we have the checking of whether or not their names are in the book of life. Now, this is more than a double check. I've heard some commentators say this is just a double check. Do you think God needs to double check? Maybe, maybe I missed something here. God doesn't need to double check. All right? I've heard too many preachers say, well, it's just a double check, making sure. No, folks, you had a big God. He doesn't need an accountant. All right? This is an evidence of what was available to them that they rejected. That's all it is. They're judged according to what was recorded in the books and how much light they received. And then, right before they're cast into the lake of fire, they open up the book of life and they say, "This could, you could have been here just through faith, but you said no. And they're cast into the lake of fire. There are some, and I'm not sure where I am on this. Jesus made a very interesting statement that uh, in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 25, and He talks about the separating of the sheep and the goats be cast into eternal punishment in the lake of fire, which is prepared. Some translations say has been prepared for the devil and his angels. There are some that think the lake of fire already exists, that it's already prepared. Well, uh, it's not bound by time, but... He's not bound by time. It could be. It could exist already. I don't know. Nobody's thrown there yet. The only people thrown there early are the false prophet and who? And the Antichrist. Satan will be thrown in there at the end of the millennium. And then who gets thrown in after the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan? Everybody else. Everybody else in all of history, including those who rebelled in the millennium, are going to be thrown into the lake of fire at that time. But who was it prepared for? Jesus said, prepared for who? For Satan and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you and me. It was prepared for Satan and his angels. But those who decide to go against God become His followers. That's why in the book of John, Jesus told the Pharisees, your father's the devil. Didn't make him real popular. Wasn't feel-good preaching, but it was truth. Alright? Now... We will get in more into this book of life later on in the study. Not tonight, but later on in our study as we get into chapter 21 and chapter 22. We're going to go into great detail about this book of life and can you be blotted out and what it means and all that kind of stuff. We're going to deal with all that later on. So for the sake of time, let's not go there for now. But uh, look closely at this. It's obvious from this passage that Hades and the lake of fire are separate places since Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. Do you see that? Hades and lake of fire are separate places. We see from the story in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus tells, it's not a parable, it's a story, it's a doctrinal thing, that this was a rich man clothed in fine linen and he had this beggar named Lazarus who laid at his gate. Uh, when the rich man dies, he was buried, but he awoke where? In Hades. And he was in physical, fiery torment. He had his capacities, if you will, his faculties. He had emotion. He had memory. He had feeling. He recognized. He had arrogance still. He recognized Lazarus. And you can tell his attitude hadn't changed much when he said, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in water and come cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. So there is a place when people die that is a place of torment for those who are outside of Christ. They go into a place called Hades. It's a place of fiery torment until the great white throne judgment in the lake of fire. The Bible says that those who now, at this point, die go to the presence of God, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You know, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now... This then goes into this other issue that I started to wrestle with, and I felt like God said not to. And I'll I'll explain to you what I'm talking about, alright? How do you separate, though, the sea, the death, and Hades became my question. Take a look at what it says here in Revelation 20. Uh, It says uh, uh, in verse 13, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And so I began to do this intensive, massive study to try to break down what's the sea, what's death, what's Hades. And in the middle of it, God said, why in the world are you doing this? So if you were to say to me, how do you separate the sea, death, and Hades from my study, I'm going to tell you this, don't try to. There's a word that is used 65 times, let's just show you, I did some study, 65 times in the Old Testament called Sheol in the Hebrew. But in, interestingly enough, in our English Bibles, 31 times it's translated the grave. 31 times it's translated, brain just shut off, what else, another word it was used for? The, no, three times it's called the pit, and three times it's, 31 times it's called death. Some people think that it should have been translated the grave all the time. How to separate, why they chose sometimes to call it pit and sometimes call it grave and sometimes to call it death. Then there are those who have for a long time believed that Sheol, which is the place of the dead, has two parts or had two parts. One half was Hades in the place of fiery torment. The other half was called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And there are those that think that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead that um, He, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how He descended and uh, led captives captive. And actually in the context there, that's not what it's talking about. But interestingly enough, at a time of His resurrection, we see in the book, of of Matthew that there was the earthquake and some people came up out of the grave and walked around and there are those that think that prior to the cross and his resurrection that the place of the dead if you will uh, was set up in Hades for the unrighteous and a um, place up called Paradise or Abraham's bosom for the uh, the ones who are given righteousness are going to be comforted but after his resurrection he then carried them into the presence of God and from now on they're all there and you can get into an incredible study that will make you go I don't know there's a chance that all this is is just a way a word picture of showing everyone at this time the sea, the dead, Hades, all were thrown into well, all were brought before the Great White Throne of judgment and cast into the lake of fire. And one of the pictures I can give you of what I'm talking about is in Philippians chapter two. Go to Philippians chapter two. Look at verses ten and eleven. It says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Has that happened yet? Of course not. Is it happening during the millennium? When's the only time this could happen? I heard it. At the great white throne judgment, correct? So... At the time of the Great White Throne Judgment, I'm about to show you in a little bit here in the time we have left. At the time of the Great White Throne Judgment, there won't be some in heaven and some on the earth and some under the earth. Correct? At the time of the Great White Throne Judgment, they're all going to be either at the Great White Throne or in the presence of God. I'm going to show you. There won't be any earth anymore at the time of the Great White Throne Judgment. I'm going to prove that to you tonight. So, what's he saying here? He's just simply saying everybody is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. I think there's a strong chance, without trying to get into too deep of a study and trying to break it all down to make this, that, and the other, all that John is saying here is that at this time all of the dead are there. All of them are there. Again, there may be more to it. I have wrestled with it. But you end up getting more questions than answers as you try to wrestle with it, as you really take a look at context and all this stuff. So if you want more, have fun. That's as far as I'm going to teach you on that one, all right? But look closely, though, at one thing we can know. Look at verse 14. After everybody's been judged and thrown into the lake of fire, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Why is death and Hades thrown into the lake of fire? What's that? No They're no needed, not needed anymore, are they? Think about that for a minute, folks. There's coming a time where death and punishment are gone wow i can't wait for that can't wait for that there's a time when death and punishment are no longer no longer necessary it could be sickness it could be right it's all done there's no more no more any of that take a look at chapter 21 just verse 1 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Alright, now, keep in mind, here John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to get into detail of that next time we get together in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to get into detail of this, and we're going to start studying the, the eternal kingdom and all. But what I want to do right now is walk you through a scriptural study in the time that we have left of the fact that I believe the, fact, the time of the old the earth that we have, even the millennial earth that we're going to live on, being destroyed and done away with is at the time of the great white throne judgment. And I can prove it to you scripturally by just simply helping you understand this. All right, What we have seen today is the purging of the universe of sin and the curse of sin. All the sinners have been removed, and the earth is being burnt and remade at the same time. Why is the earth being destroyed? It was, contaminated. it was contaminated as well. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Now, for those of you that are going to chew on this later on, write these scriptures down. I'm going to give you about five or six here. But Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Remember, Adam and Eve ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And please tell as many people as you can that it wasn't an apple. We don't know. The Bible didn't say... Too many people around there trying to say that it was an apple. Never says. It just says a piece of fruit. You know? I I don't know what kind it was, but it probably tastes bad now. Alright. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Look at what God says to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. Now keep in mind, there was work before the fall. But now it's going to be hard work. Because now the thorns and the thistles, those of you that do any yard work, if you take a month off, what happens? It's amazing how it just takes over. My, my in-laws used to have goats Where uh, up there in Gainesville area. They would fence off a section of the woods there on their property, just off their property. And these goats would, would napalm it. It's amazing what goats can do. Goats will eat the roots and everything. And it would be bare. And then when they had finished doing that, they moved the fence and put the goats over there. And they would just clean that whole area. That's how we cleaned the woods out. Well, they sold the goats and gave the goats away, I don't know, two years ago now you would never believe that there was ever a goat. It's worse now than it ever was. It's unbelievable how bad it is in those areas. Alright, so the earth was cursed because of it. And look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. I want you to see something kind of neat here. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. says, I consider, verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation, wait, creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. And who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The Bible says creation itself is waiting patiently for what? Rejection. For its turn to be redeemed. Alright? Now, Second Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 13. Second Peter 3 verses 10 through 13. Peter says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And by the way, that speed its coming means kind of cheer it on. The day will bring about the destruction. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Here Peter says, One day the earth as we know it and everything that we know is going to be totally destroyed, melted, burnt up, and God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's not going to remake this one. During the millennium, this one will be remade. But the new heaven and the new earth will be totally different and totally new. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 real quick. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus makes an interesting statement. And in this statement, He says something about the earth. Matthew 24, verse 25. Jesus says... Sorry, 35. Twenty five. Twenty-four, thirty-five. Thank you, Rita. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. I'll say it again. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but His words will never pass away. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verses 10 and 12. 10, 11, and 12. He also says, God says this, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Let me read that again. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Again, Scripture says, everything that we know in this earth, the universe, and all that stuff is going to be totally remade. Let me show you one more place, and then we'll wrap up with the last scripture. But one more place is in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Maybe many of us missed it. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. Do you see it? Now. There's this question, when does this happen? When does this happen? Some think that some of these passages are referring to when Jesus comes back and fire comes and all this kind of stuff. Just because Jesus comes back and there's fire in that doesn't mean that's the same fire we're reading about here. Sodom and Gomorrah had fire. Does that mean it's the same fire? You can't, you can't go there and do it that way. But there is actually a verse we haven't read yet. It's in Second Peter chapter 3 that actually tells us when it's going to happen. 2 Peter chapter 3, it's verse 7. Look at verse 7 of 2 Peter chapter 3. He had just said that by God's word, the earth was flooded and destroyed in that way. By the same word, God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Being kept when? For the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. When's it going to happen that He totally burns up the earth and the, at the day of judgment? At the end of the millennium. When all those people gather to fight against Jerusalem, fire's going to come down and devour them. He's going to definitely take care of us. Don't worry about it. But those, the earth, that as, as we know it, at that time will be destroyed. It'll be melted. The, the heavens will roll up a such a scroll. They'll disappear. Judgment of the ungodly, they're casting the lake of fire where Satan already is, where the Antichrist already is, where the false prophet is. And then, praise the Lord, next time we get together, we start to read the good stuff. We've been looking at the tribulation and a lot of judgment and a lot of stuff, but the fun really starts to kick in the next two chapters. As we start to take a look at what this new earth is going to look like. Oh, by the way, I'll give you a little picture. The Bible says there's not going to be any seas. Most of our earth right now is covered by water. And I think partially part of the reason why is uh, so that the earth could so man, mankind could last as long as we have, we wouldn't have killed, we would have killed each other sooner if we didn't have to cross those big bodies of waters to do it wouldn't we? You know oh, sorry that's why the glaciers are melting i don 't I don't want to get into all that stuff, but technology's putting us a lot closer together, and as soon as we can we 'll we'll kill each other but And this new earth is not going to have any seas. Oh, there's rivers. There's there's lots of beautiful stuff you're going to see. And I'm also going to show you that just the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, if you built it right now, it wouldn't fit on the United States without hanging off somewhere. This is just the city of Jerusalem. I'll show you when we take a look at that next time we get together. It's huge. Oh, and by the way, it's not only so far wide and the same length, it's a square. It is also as high as it is wide and long. Now picture something that will cover the whole United States pretty much. In other words, wherever you put it, a corner will hang off. It can't fit inside the U.S., continental U.S., but it's also that tall. And that's just the city of Jerusalem. How many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis's writings, Chronicles of Narnia? Remember that book at the end where they get to heaven? What's it called? The Last, the Last Battle. Did you ever notice how in that wonderful description, of course it's, it, 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 it's, it's fiction yet it's a wonderful picture, they get to the heavenly city, and it looks only so big, but once they get in, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They realize they're probably never going to get to the end of it. Aslan keeps Yeah, Aslan keeps getting bigger as well. Any questions, any thoughts before we wrap it up? Get ready for a couple weeks from now. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I, I have never understood why we would be ruled out. It doesn't make sense to me. And it just occurred to me that perhaps he will say when it's time for all of this to go away, you rule, you can see, is there any other way to do this? Hmm. That's possibly true. Well, part of the reason why we're going to rule is because it's a reward and at the same time I know for some of us we're like I don't want to (laughs) yeah part of me thinks it would be tough but here's the thing there's going to be sin in the millennium because remember Jesus rules with a rod of iron you wouldn't need a rod of iron if there's no sin it's obvious that there are those who are going to not like the fact that Jesus is Lord and they'll be easily convinced to fight against him when Satan's released we, the Bible says that if someone dies at the age of hundred, it's like they died as a baby. So there's going to be death in the millennium. But I think your your, your point you bring out is kind of neat because even after we've had the chance to rule, we'd we'll probably say you can have it back. You know. Or please don't do this. Please don't destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't do that. And you know, I, I mean, I don't how do I know, but right. it just occurs to me that. But he's giving it their best shot and it just isn't working. It's not working. And thank God he'll redo it all. But why has this been done? It's all being done to prove who he is, to show his glory. It's in the flesh, it's in our flesh. Well, not ours at that time, because we'll have our resurrected bodies. But yes, but the people are alive at that time. Yep. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank You so much for this chance to study Your Word. And there's so much here as we just take the time to to, to deal with it and, and wrestle with parts. And Lord, thankfully, we're able to say at times, we don't know. Yet... You have given us enough to understand. And your word shows us in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, that the, things, the secret things belong to you, but the things revealed to us and to our children. And so, Lord, we just want to hang on to the stuff that has been revealed. And uh, we'll just read the rest of this book as you've told us to and take it to heart. And uh, you'll bless us for that, and we thank you for it. Lord, the fact that you haven't come yet to get us means that you have others you want to come to know you. You're not slow in keeping your promise, as some consider slowness, but you're patient. Not in wanting anyone to perish. And so Lord, may we, knowing that you're going to get your message across to them as well, may we have your heart and be willing to just share the good news that you are willing to give forgiveness and salvation. But Lord, we also understand that they first have to understand their guilt before you. They have to understand their lostness. And many in the world today think they're okay. Father, help them to see they're not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.